This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a big show, a real big shoe. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you're new here, welcome to our show. Follow me down the stairs here and you'll see our famous card table and boy will it be busy today. We're interviewing three stackers with interesting stories. First, we'll talk to Amy Minkley, who's an expat leading a financial retreat in Bali that Joe will be speaking at. Wait, hold on, where's my invitation? Ah, and then we'll chat with Glenn Hebert, who sold his horse radio network after building his business in a niche that nobody thought would be profitable. And finally, we'll say hello to Kate Youngkin, who's been a stacker for several years now and is our new communications queen, who'll be helping Gertrude out with all our projects here in the basement. But that's not all. See that old Apple IIc over there? We use that to find some important headlines, like the one we've got for you today. How to get wealthy using one guy's book. Never heard that one before. Plus, we'll hold the codophone answering machine here. Uh, I'm just going to hold it right up to the microphone, and we're going to use it to throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener with a money problem. Who is it today? You'll have to listen to find out. And finally, over here by the canned peaches, I keep all my notes for our trivia segment, which eventually will be the main reason you even listen to us in the first place. And now, two guys who are all strapped in and ready for takeoff. It's Joe and O J J J J G. Hey there, stackers! Welcome to one of my favorite episodes that we do a few times a year. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and uh, my favorite guy sitting across the card table from me, Mister O G, sitting here. Favorite guy. Say that louder. For the people in the back. I love how Doug's microphone went to mute because he was all over that one going, nope, nope. Super foiled by the microphone again. Uh, we do have a great show. We're talking community today. We've got a headline brought to us by a community member. We've got three community members, Doug, that you already introduced to everybody. But I don't know if you guys heard about my trip to Bali, but uh, pretty soon I get to talk about that too. How about that? That'll be fun. 
And no, did you, I'm getting can a you no. Hear the crickets, or are those just for me? <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm so, there's, yes. Oh, there's real crickets now. Thanks to OG. Uh, we got a bunch of good stuff going on, but you know what? You know, it might be the pinnacle of goodness. The best that we get ever might be right here. This episode sponsored by state farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget. Well, look no further than state farm. State farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. I actually hope that we can do better than that. I think our community can do better than that. Don't get me wrong. That was all good stuff. But OG, you think we can do better? No. That is the top of the food chain. That is as good as it gets. Yeah. I mean, I think our sponsors, they're as good as it gets. They are as good as it gets. Our community's wonderful. You're about to hear why, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our headline today comes to us from Stacker Ed. By the way, I saw Ed at our event in Columbus, Ohio with uh, Grant Sabatier, who was our host that night. We had a really fun event at a Barnes & Noble and glad that Ed could be there with us. But he wrote and said, hey, I think you guys will love this and let's talk about this. This is from The New Yorker. The secret to wealth is giving up pointless expenses and other lessons from my $28 book. This is written by Chandler Dean and Sarah Gruen. They write, more Americans than ever are struggling to make ends meet. Is this because wages have remained stagnant while expenses creep up? Could it be that healthcare costs more while insurance covers less? Predatory lenders? 
skyrocketing tuition, unregulated capitalism, and unfettered corporate greed? No, the problem is financial literacy. Too many young people are making idiotic short-term financial decisions that hamper long-term success. That's why it's so important they break that habit by purchasing my book, How to Stop Making Idiotic Short-Term Financial Decisions That Hamper Long-Term Success, (laughs) MSRP $27.99. That's all we need, OG. If we get a book that will stop people from making idiotic short-term financial decisions that hamper long-term success. It's like the latte factor. Or that uh, silly yellow book that I've got laying around here. What was that one called? That oh, really that thick. wonderful book. No, Trieste. Just to be clear, I think this is this is poking fun that there's so many books out there, but there's a uh, few that need to be read. Yes. and that one needs to be read. The, the yellow one. The yellow one. The yellow one needs to be read. You go to the store, you find the yellow one. That's the one you want to buy. The one with all the phone numbers in it. That big yellow one. <laughs> no. Yeah, that one. Okay. The points in this even get better, OG. The authors here share a handful of lessons that are in the guide to guaranteed green. Well, if they're going to guarantee green, OG, we need to know these. Let's hear it. Number one, stop buying coffee and start saving for a house. How am I supposed to do my double side hustle if I don't have enough caffeine? I think that's your problem. I think your problem is priorities. Listen to this. A grande latte at Starbucks, which is absolutely an item young people still purchase in the place at which they purchase it, costs $3.65. Meanwhile... I, th- I think it costs more than that, by the way. I was going to say, not with the new olive oil that they're <laughs> was, putting in there. That's the new thing. Was this written in uh, 1897? It's like yeah. $142 now. Coffee was way cheaper back Meanwhile, then. listen to this. The median price of a home in the United States is around $400,000. That means if you just skipped one coffee per day, you could save up enough cash to buy your dream house in just over 300 years, people. Yes. See? Oh, show. Second point, cut cost around the home. Let's say you're ahead of the curve and already have a place to live. The skimping has only just begun. The average American spends more than $100 on electricity every month. And as someone with an MFA in economics, I can tell you with a reasonable amount of confidence, that's $1,200 a year, OG. But imagine how much you could save if you simply didn't turn on the light during your middle of the night bathroom visits, how much earlier you'd retire if you just stopped opening your refrigerator, how many more vacations you take if you charge your iPad using your next door neighbor's potato battery, which won second place at the Johnson Middle School Science Fair. I'm just jealous of $100 a month electricity. How do you get that? Yeah, that'd be nice. (laughs) That does sound like a discount. You're right. Number three, ditch the credit card. Too many young people get lured into debt because they think they can spend money they don't have. That's why since the publication of my first book called The Millionaire Mindset, How You Can Become Rich Through a Lifetime of Severe Frugality, although that's not how I did it. <laughs> Looks good on you. <laughs> that's, that is a very true satirical way of looking at. Yes. Yes. How many? How many? Although that's not how I did it. <laughs> How many people in the personal finance community does that speak to? That's a lot of them. I've recommended that anyone who wants a stable financial future should stay the heck away from credit cards. Taking some criticism throughout the years from naysayers who contend the only way for a cash poor person to secure an apartment is to have a good credit score. To those people, I say, what are you doing being cash poor in the first place? Again, you're looking outward. You need to be looking inward to solve this problem. Which brings up, OG, the next point. I think we'll leave it here. Don't be cash poor. The number one prerequisite to being rich 
is having money. People forget this. I'd actually recommend getting as much money as you can. Agreed. Why is this the first we're hearing of this? I, I know. know. This is this is genius. Because we haven't bought the $28 book. Oh. That's because we haven't bought the $28 book. Yeah. Ed, thanks for sending that in. See, see how great our stackers are? Sending like us uh, some great satire about personal finance. Seriously, some of the some of the advice you see out there. I mean, remember uh, Greg McFarlane used to be on the show OG on Fridays and he would always talk of he would always just skewer the personal finance writers that would talk about turning off the oven light or taking all your CDs and uh, putting them into your computer so that you you didn't have CDs laying around like that was a great way to Great way yeah, to save money. You could, you could sell the CDs. Then you could sell the CDs for like a buck fifty each. And back at the, yeah. can you sell a CD anymore? Yeah, they're coming back. CDs are coming CDs back. CDs are coming back. Absolutely. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because you know how the big trend for a while was vinyl. All the kids were going vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's moving to CDs for two reasons. One, it's just the latest retro thing to come back. And two, the audio quality on CDs is significantly better than streaming. Unless you're going pure lossless and all this other super high audiophile crap, CDs are actually really good. So they're coming back. And you sold all of yours. Of course I did. And I'm not a dog, so I can't hear the difference. Like I've heard the- <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know. I, I watched Top Gun the other day and I plugged in all the speakers and it sounded pretty good. That was digital. So would it be better if it was on Laserdisc? Is that what you're saying? Should I get Top Gun Maverick on DVD? Betamax. Off the Get it on Betamax. 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 Yeah. VHS. Big thanks to Ed for that. Stacker Ed, even though you're in Columbus, Ed, not my favorite city, but a fine place. How awesome place. Ed must be to overcome being from Columbus, to still be <laughs> awesome despite being from Columbus. That dude, and any other city, Ed, you're like a 12. <laughs> and to even be the seven that you are just because That's you're in Columbus. So overachieving. Pretty, Pretty amazing. Well, coming up, we got three more stackers uh, to introduce you to. We're going to start off with my friend Amy Meekly, who is an expat living in Bali. We're going to talk to her about becoming an expat, some of the uh, problems she's run into with being an expat, but also some of the great things if you're somebody thinking about living abroad. And also, we'll talk to her about her upcoming conference. Also, Glenn Hebert. We call him Glenn the Geek. He's a guy in the in the podcasting community, just sold a radio network, doing something a lot of people think would make money in the first place. So if you're somebody with an idea and you don't think it's going to make a lot of money, there it is. And then Kate, our newest, newest member of the Stacky Benjamins team here in the basement, we're going to introduce you to Kate. She's got a fantastic story about how frugality has served her very, very well. Just an amazing Young woman helping us here in the basement. But before all that, Doug, you got some trivia for us, man. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I am super excited to hear these interviews with fellow stackers about how they made all their money. You know, I'm a lot like the horse guy, Glenn Hebert. We both made lots of money on horses. He made it with a horse radio network and I made it off the number five horse in the seventh race. Sure, it was eight years ago and I haven't won since, but that just means I'm due, right? So here's a big time Benjamin related question. The winner of the upcoming Kentucky Derby makes a ton of money, not just from the purse, but from stud fees. 
so many jokes, but don't worry, I'm not going there. The winner of the Triple Crown, though, a horse who wins the Derby, the Belmont Stakes, and the Preakness. Well, that horse goes down in history. The last horse to win all three accomplished the feat back in 2018. Let's see your ability to think pre-COVID. What was the name of the horse? I'll be back right after I go sprint a couple of furlongs. Hey, Ma, how long is a furlong? Hey, Staggers, it's Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend, Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do. A shout out to, he is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? Uh, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account, $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy and Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Stackers, I'm fancy derby hat wearer and mint julep lover, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. It's reported that the American horse who commanded the largest stud fees was named, and I can't make this up, Tap It, who earned over $300,000 per bounchicka wow wow back in 2018. So while Tap It was, you know, tapping it, one horse was getting busy winning the Triple Crown. The answer? A horse who only gets a paltry $100,000 per tap, Justify. And now, no need to justify these guests. I'm incredible, I know. You're welcome. It's just, it's, it's what pros do. It's Joe and some of our amazing stackers. I'm super excited. We're beginning our conversation today with community members with 
the woman who is running a fantastic retreat I'll be speaking at. Amy Meekley's here. How are you? I am fantastic. Thanks, Joe. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Okay. So it is just so people, you know, we're going to pull back the curtain for a second. It is uh, 5 p.m. here in Bali where you are. You're beginning your morning. Yes, I am at 7 a.m. And lucky I'm a morning person and I've had my coffee. Otherwise, I'd be a grump. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking lucky for all of us, you're a morning person. (laughs) Let's talk about this. We talked about this once when you and I met at a Camp Fi together, but I really want to dig in. I had an email just last week, Amy, from somebody who is contemplating becoming an expat about living abroad. Can you tell me how you initially decided that living outside the United States was for you? Yes, I grew up in a small town in Texas, and the dream was born when I was 12 years old. Uh, My sister, who's nine years older than me, went abroad, and she was working in Taiwan, and then she lived in the UK for a while, and I used to get these letters back from her, and I was so intrigued. It, It was, you know, before there was YouTube, and before there was all these travel channels on Netflix, and I didn't really have this concept of Asia or living in Europe. And hearing from her set that dream in my mind because there weren't a lot of people where I grew up at all, (laughs) really no one traveling and living abroad. She went, in fact, she went abroad to Turkey in her high school year. So she had that dream because she was a reader. And seeing her example lit that fire in me. And then when I finished university, I already had that dream. I wanted to go abroad. I applied to different teach abroad programs. And I considered Taiwan and and Korea. I got a few offers there. But Japan is where I landed. And I'm so happy. Um, I worked for the Japanese government, teaching in Japanese high schools. And it was so much fun. It changed my life. I thought I would go abroad for one or two years. And now it's been 20. (laughs) So it just opened my eyes. That's what most people in that program do, right? They just stay for two or three years. Right, exactly. And I'm so close to my family. So that was part of it. I thought, oh, one or two years and then I'll be back and I'll live in the US for the rest of my life. I'm able to work it where I come home frequently and I still feel like I'm an active part of my family's life. But um, living, I absolutely, I love the whole world and I've, tra- I've done a lot of traveling other places too, but I absolutely love Asia. And this is, this is where I started out and where I've been really all my 20 years, even though I've spent you know half a year in South America and other places like that. Let's dive into this. What was easier than you thought that it would be? Because you know there's a lot of people that are thinking about this, Amy, but they get afraid. What was easier than you could have ever expected? I would say almost everything was easier than I expected. And it can vary very a lot depending on where you go and what kind of program you're on. But the JET program, I was on a program with a lot of other teachers from all over the English-speaking world. So I met you know, I had wonderful Japanese friends, but I have friends from everywhere, which was beautiful. And because we all came at the same time, community was easier. And that's not always the case because people sometimes move abroad and they're the only only people in their community sure. and they have to find a work their way in. But I was over the top joyful with the people that I got to know. And I and they're still my lifelong friends. You know, I visit them every time I go to the US. I'm visiting my closest friends from that program from 20 years ago. Um, so that would be one thing. And then the Japanese people are so warm and welcoming. Well, and I was going to say, before we even get on to Japanese people, and actually this kind of transitions into that, Amy, because it sounds like for people that are worried about this, 
do some homework first and make sure there's a decent expat community. Is that kind of what you're saying? Because you went into a program, but if somebody's not, look for that expat community. And then my follow-up would be, I think, where you're headed, which is if you do find a nice expat community, are you then kind of removed from the true, quote, culture because you're just surrounded by other English speakers and not people that are native to that land? Yeah, I think it's a balance for me personally. Some people do love to go to really remote places. And I, I have, you know, I've traveled and been to East Timor and been really surrounded by only locals. And I love that. It's beautiful. And it's wonderful to discover that culture. But I think if I lived in East Timor for a year or six months, there would be something where I was missing a, a cultural common connection and being able to think deeper into topics, you know, when we have a shared language I like a mix of, you know, having local connections and local culture and also having, you know, a great expat community. And I love what you bring up, Joe, about thinking about the expat community because expat communities vary by country and by region. So some places you go and you find expats who are there to drink and party and they're very young. They might be in their early 20s. They're backpackers. They're hippies. Those kind of places. Other places you may go and you may find expats who are in their late 60s. So, you know, it's important to think about what kind of community do your listeners want to surround themselves with? If they love surfing, you know, where do all the expat surfers, where do they set themselves up? So thinking about their interest and where those kind of expats might be. It's funny, my daughter is teaching uh, English in France and she's in this little town called Better Eats, which is near the Spanish border. It turns out, Amy, that that is the French surfing capital <laughs> the surfing capital of France. But what's funny is because um, Americans don't go there because not the French part that's cool. That's the Mediterranean, right? That everybody wants to go to. So they don't know. So I think digging in a little bit, if, if that's what you want to do, also makes sense. I want to ask you one more question because you're not only putting on this retreat, you're putting on this retreat because you have had quite an amazing financial journey yourself, which I want to dive into here in a second. But before that, I do have to ask you, what do you think is a little harder than people expect? Like they don't expect that this is going to be a difficulty of being an expat. I would say missing family. And I think they anticipate that. But, you know, there are things that I miss about home and I do miss my family. And depending on where you're living, you know, so one thing that's a little harder is in Asia, you know, being on the opposite time zone can be a little bit more challenging than when I've spent time in South America being in the same time zone. That said, I still... I still have a special place in my heart for Asia, and this is still where I want to live. That's what's the most challenging for me. I do think people anticipate that being challenging. What about money management stuff? Like I know that my daughter had her WISE, used to be TransferWISE account, mm -hmm. got locked down for no reason. And all of a sudden, she's got all this money sitting in WISE that she had difficulty getting back out. Did you find banking difficult in a different country? Only when the ATM card machine ate my ATM card. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> that was not fun. That's bad. <laughs> yes. I mean, it is. I find it quite easy here with ATM cards. And I have a Charles Schwab card that doesn't charge me ATM fees. And so it's very easy, except the, the machines are a little different now here. And they spit out your money and then they give you a card later. I was in a rush one day and I left, you know, I grabbed my money and left my card in the machine because it's not the dip style that I'm used to in the U.S., uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a hassle, you know, trying to get a new card sent over to Indonesia because the mail system is not as great in Indonesia. But, it, you know, I had a great experience in Thailand with mail, Singapore with mail, Japan with mail. It's really um, Indonesia in particular, getting something sent over 
in the mail. And particular if it's in priority, you know, then they then they scrutinize it more in customs, so it'll take it even longer. <laughs> so so it does vary country by country what what may be harder. But in Indonesia, uh, Bali, I would say getting things in the mail and then possibly losing your ATM card in the machine or forgetting. I guess I should say forgetting. That's really the truth. <laughs> You're somebody who's been a very aggressive saver. When you were saving at your most aggressive, what was your savings rate? My best savings rate was in Thailand. I was saving 90000 a year. $90,000 a year. Yes, which is most of my salary. I did have a little bit of side income coming in from a property loan, a JV agreement. So there was some side income coming in and I was basically able to live on that. But because the school pays for housing fully, you know, they pay for my trips home every year. And it was during the pandemic, too. (laughs) So that's part of it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's tax free. You know, a lot of these countries, the first two years that you live there, you can uh, jump through some bureaucratic loopholes and it's legal as long as you do these steps to live at least two years for free, tax free. So that made a huge difference. So a lot of the international schools really do, especially in Asia, give great packages with amazing benefits. How did you get from a normal savings rate up to saving that much money? I mean, I can hear with the pandemic, right? But there had to be these steps that you went through or things that you cut out or things that you went, you know, that's just not important to me. How did you get there mentally? I've always been there mentally. Said, okay, well then let's let's go there, Amy, because because you have said to me before sometimes that's not a good thing, right? You're there mentally too much. Like there's a downside. Definitely. When I was twelve, my parents got a divorce, and my my father left, and for a little period of time, you know, he wasn't really involved, and he wasn't financially supportive for about fifteen years. So that had a big impact in me on me. You know, suddenly we, we had money when I was a child. And then when I was 12, suddenly we didn't have money. And I saw my mom in this panic state of buying all these financial books and reading and, and, and going back to college because she was a stay-at-home mom when I was young. And so I really saw her going through this. And I was her support system during this time. And it imprinted me in, a, in, a, in unhealthy ways as well. It had a lot of benefits as well. You know, I saved for my first car, bought my first car, paid my way through undergrad and graduate school. And it was so beneficial. I'm very grateful for it. Taught me a lot, you know, to pay my rent and my books and my my tuition for school. And I graduated undergrad debt-free. It took me five years, but I really learned how to budget at a young age. And I lived in the yuckiest apartments I could find <laughs> near campus. So I've, you know, I, I was a natural saver and budgeter from that fear-based scarcity mindset that money can disappear at any moment. That's what I felt like I took away as a child. And so as soon as I got, you know, working in Japan, I wasn't able to save that much, 5000 a year. This is 20 years ago. But then once I went back to graduate school and I got in with the international schools, I was dead set on how much can I save? I didn't really know for for what reason. I didn't know about the fire movement at that time, but it was more coming from this fear that it could disappear at any moment. So I need to save now and invest it. I'm wondering, because you talked about uh, from a scarcity mindset, and I know that your retreat this year coming up, which I'm super excited about, I cannot wait to come visit you. I'm so excited, not just about experiencing the culture there, but I know some of the people that are going to be there. I know some of the speakers that are going to be there. It feels like your 
I don't know, maybe this retreats for you, Amy, because it just feels like it's all about abundance, right? Like we're going to be talking much more about abundance than scarcity. Talk about that for a minute, about really why you decided to create a retreat. To give you a little bit of backstory to get to that question, I took two sabbatical years. So I left, I had a job in India working, uh, teaching kids who parents work at the UN and embassies and that kind of thing. And I was burned out. The international schools are amazing, but they do work me hard. And I and I worked hard. It's, they didn't work me hard. I worked hard <laughs> coming from a, <laughs> right. from this old pattern of overworking. Um, I didn't have a good balanced relationship. So I left to take two sabbatical years. And it was actually one that turned into two. But I was so blissfully happy in Bali. And I really saw a different life and a different possibility for my life here. And I met people, entrepreneurs and amazing people who have left corporate America and corporate Europe to come here. And I saw that and I, I walked away from it because I was nervous because I'd been spending money for two years and I hadn't earned anything. And I went back to international school teaching and I went to Bangkok and I was deeply unhappy because I went back into an old pattern of overworking. And even mm. though the school was great, it no longer was a life that I wanted to live. And I didn't know how to balance it well and have, you know, have weekends and have evenings free. I was always on my computer and always working. And so really, this conference was born out of some sense of giving people hope. Because in that dark night in Bangkok, where dark night of the soul, where I was really wrestling with some depression, I really wrestled with the scarcity. And I found the fire movement in that moment. And it felt like someone had thrown me a life raft. Suddenly, I could see new possibilities for my life. And suddenly, I figured out, okay, if I know the principles, and I understand you know, how much money I actually need to retire, and how much money I need to live on, and I know what it costs me to live in Bali. Suddenly I realized I'm better off than I think. I don't need $5 million, which was my belief before. Um, so really fire saved me. Um, learning these principles and gaining the financial literacy saved me. I was also stuck in the pandemic in Bangkok and wanting to create community in Asia and on this side of the world, because this is my home. This is where I've lived. Um, and hearing about all these conferences, I would jog around the, the lake where I lived in, you know, northern Bangkok and just in periods of frustration and, and feeling like, how can I, how can I be around people who are like-minded? And as soon as um, I quit that job, I went back to the U.S. and I attended six fire conferences oh in nine God. months. So I, I was on a path and I was so moved by the community. People are so warm-hearted. People got on my spreadsheet with me. They looked at my numbers. They logged into Vanguard. They looked at my asset allocations. People are so giving and, you know, talking with me about my wound around money. And I felt like I got so much from that community. And I want to give back to that community as well. So that's my motivation to, to help. Yeah, it does help me as well to heal my money story, but also for others to bring them along on that journey and to show them Bali. Yeah, I think I know just from where you and I met outside of San Diego that you're not, I think that you saw that you're not the only one on that train. There are tons of people that need to see the abundance that's around them. And part of that is the number of people, when you surround yourself with these people, they're a huge part of the abundance mindset. There's a lot of things that I don't know that I don't know. And when I surround myself with people who are on a path of thinking about what do I really value 
And how do I align my, my spending and my savings and my time and my energy to support that? You know, it helps me to really think about the deeper questions in life and really reanalyze or reevaluate how I'm spending my life. And there's nothing more valuable than that because it can save me years on my life. I love that. It's a great place for us to leave it, Amy, because it is about time. It's not about money. It's about you've only got this one shot. It is sold out this year, guys. You can see why, because Amy's not passionate about this stuff at all. At all. Yeah, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, only slightly. For somebody to be that passionate this early in the morning in Bali is pretty damn amazing, Amy. (laughs) It's the Five Freedom Retreat. And by the way, people want to look into it. It is sold out this year. It is a a much more international retreat for people that have gone to like Camp Fi, where you and I met, or they're gone to maybe the Economy Conference or any of these other conferences. This is a much more global experience with people, speakers, and and attendees from around the world. But check it out, Five Feet Freedom Retreats uh, with an S. And I have secured a few more rooms. So oh, you have. Yes. So if listeners would like to be on the wait list for when I release those, go down and put their email on my contact page. That would be great. They can be the first to know. Come establish abundance with me and Amy. How great would that be? Yes. Be, I mean, pinch yourself because you could hang out with me and Amy. That's In Bali, <laughs> in paradise. In, in Bali plus, yeah. Amy, thank you so much for getting up early and chatting with us. I super appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing for building financial literacy in the world, Joe. I appreciate it. And I'm super happy we have him finally in mom's basement. The man behind the Horse Radio Network, Glenn Hebert, or as we call him, Glenn the Geek. How are you, man? I'm terrific. How are you, Joe? Well, I'm fantastic. And you know, for people for people wondering about you and I being together today, this episode is normally about our stacker community, but you and I are in a different community, which I think we should encourage everybody to do. No matter what you do, there is magic in attending industry conferences. There's magic in getting together with the people you work with. And I know for you, networking has been a huge piece of getting your network to where it is. Yeah, and it was networking that uh, introduced me to the person who introduced me to the person who ended up buying the business. There it is. And that was networking from 12 years ago. That was somebody that we had on our show 12 years ago and used to be a regular guest. And then I saw her at an industry conference uh, last year and said, hey, I'm looking at maybe selling the company. And she said, I know our company's buying things. So within an hour, I had a meeting with the vice presidents of the company to talk about it. But that was only because of something I set up 12 years ago. I remember a family member of mine always told me, I'd say, you, if you want to be successful, go to conferences. It's like, I'm too busy. I don't have time to go to conferences. I would assert that this family member didn't have time not to go. And he would have been more successful more quickly had he gone. So if you're thinking that, people, I think you need to reassess. Networking is everything. Uh, the reason I believe in going to conferences is it's not who you know, it's who knows you. By being out and about in front of people, more and more people are, are aware of who you are. And in business, that's more important than who you know. It's the who knows you. And it doesn't matter, by the way, whether you're an entrepreneur like Glenn or I are, guys, if you're working inside of a company, even inside of a company, there's people who are the key uh, entrepreneurs, they call them, uh, who are, you've got them in your business, Glenn. There are yep. people in your business, I will guarantee you, who are super entrepreneurial, but would rather work as part of the horse radio network than make things happen. 
I would say that within a corporate environment like that, it's even more important who knows you. Well, we've got you on today because you have sold the Horse Radio Network, which you alluded to earlier. And congratulations, by the way. But before that, so when I first met you, I'm like, really? Horse Radio <laughs> Network? Like three three things I wouldn't put together at all. And yet you've got some amazing statistics, not just the number of people that listen to this, but the devoted number of fans. Tell me about deciding to niche down, because as you know, a lot of people, Glenn, a little too wide with what they're trying to do. You've got a very specific group of people you're trying to reach, and you did that very successfully. Yeah, when I started, that was the goal. It was to do shows about horses. But within even the horse world, there's 100 silos. And our mission statement at the Horse Radio Network is uniting the horse world one show isn't at it, a time. Isn't it, wait a minute, isn't it 100 stalls? I think it's well, 100, it could be. 100 barns, <laughs> hundred thousands Sorry. of horse shows. I'm just like, we're so close to the right analogy. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it was always the goal was to unite the horse world one show at a time. And by doing that, we had to niche down into individual shows to bring them all together under the network. You know, we have done that. There's been a lot of people who have started competing in different sports or who have tried different things because they've heard it on the shows. So I feel like that's one of our most successful things is we've gotten people to branch out from what they're doing with their horses now into something new and, and maybe ended up staying with that something new. So for us, even you know, for, forget finances, that's been one of the most satisfying things is we've expanded people's uh, knowledge base. And we and I think podcasting does that better than magazines do. And I'm owned by a magazine company. So I will see how that goes. But uh, because magazines, people tend to only read a magazine you're really interested in. Yet, if you listen to a podcast because you find it entertaining, you know, Stacking Benjamins because you guys are a hoot, and then they learn something along the way about something they would have never bought a magazine about. They would have never went out and researched that topic on their own. We allow them to do that in a way I think no other medium does. To your point, I was listening this morning, Glenn, to a mutual friend of ours. Lou Mangello runs oh, yeah. the WDW radio network. We just saw him in Orlando, you and I, a couple months ago. But Lou was talking about the top, listen to this topic, the top restrooms in Walt Disney World. Lou would like, know. <laughs> but I'm listening to this and I'm having a blast. And what the funny thing is, I could care less. I could totally care less. That's right. And, and it was so fun on my morning walk to do that. And you're right. Podcasting helps build community. But I want to go to this idea about niching down. Because I would imagine that you could have the animal radio network, right? You could have done mm -hmm. dogs and cats and ponies and horses and, you know, sheep and all kinds of goats, whatever. Like, like where did the idea come from? to just focus on horses all the time. Well, I married a horsewoman. I married into this. This was not my thing in the beginning. So by a horse by a horsewoman, you don't mean a woman with a long face. That's correct. Yep. <gasps> I, I mean a, a woman every horse person, most horse people are really addicted to horses. It's a unique group, which has made it ideal for niching down into the horse world because I knew that this particular group, this is all they do. They spend all their money on their horses. We learn early as horse boyfriends and then horse husbands not to say it's me or the horses because it's you. you know, you're <laughs> you're gone. gone. <laughs> you're out. I knew that this was a market of addicted people who didn't have availability of this particular content. But then I knew I even had to niche it down further into things that they're interested in already so that they start listening so we could introduce them to other things. Well, that's why there's 42 shows on the Horse Radio Network all about horses is because the niches within the niches. 
42 shows. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a whole different episode of this, guys, about how to organize 42 different shows. Let me ask you this, though. Let's talk about selling it because clearly it became a valuable commodity. Did you build it to sell? Yes. Did you build it in a way where you're thinking about selling? I did. That was intentional. So when we started years ago, I always knew, well, I hoped someday that would podcasting would become a thing. But when I started, it was not a thing. When I started, you couldn't listen on a phone. There wasn't a phone. So you listened on your computer, pretty much. And I always wanted to be number one in the horse world and podcasting when podcasting became a thing. And then Serial came along and started to help make podcasting a yeah. thing. And we then got a, We got a huge bump, by the way. I don't know about you. Yep. And, and obviously, finances have nothing to do with Serial. But I feel like when Serial finished, that first season finished, millions of people just started searching their app for That's other right. things they might be interested in. That's right. So they came in with a crime drama and went, oh, I like horses. Let me search horses. And they yeah. found us. And then the other thing that really, really helped us out was COVID because more and more people that's, started that's not listening. A great, that's not a great <laughs> no, sense. No, it's true, though. <laughs> you might want to back off that <laughs> It helped us out. I'm not saying it helped. It, it didn't help the world out, but it helped no. podcasting out because more and more people just became aware of podcasting. And, uh, you know, our numbers grew because of COVID. We went up, uh, I think it was almost 40% that year in downloads. So those two events really brought podcasting to where it is today and brought podcasting under the radar of media corporations in the horse world who were going, hey, look, we tried this podcasting thing. It didn't work for us. We need help. So we, we do magazines, we do video. Now we know we need podcasting as the third leg of that tripod. And that's where we came in. And then we had three different companies that were looking at us, all media conglomerates that were looking at us in the horse world. And it was the third company that came into the picture when I met this person at dinner that night at a trade show conference. It was the third one that came into the picture that we actually ended up selling to. When you sell a company like yours, you obviously value it on a multiple of, of your revenue over a period of time. Did you have that all ready to go? Did you know that oh, number? Yeah. Did you have to did no. you have to involve accountants? Tell <laughs> Yeah, tell no. me about the pros that you have to involve if you decide to sell a company. Well, we had a really good mergers and acquisitions attorney. First thing, if you're going to sell a company of any size, have that. Because, you know, I know a little bit about contracts. I've been doing business. I was a financial planner for a lot of years. But I could I didn't know what half of this contract said. I had no idea what the words meant. So, having a mergers and acquisitions attorney is mandatory from the beginning, from the start. And I did. Uh, The other thing is figuring out the value. Well, because podcasting is so weird and different and it's new and there's not really a lot of standard operating procedures for selling a podcast to company. It was kind of a guess, to be honest. It was okay. And it was also, what do I want? You know, what do I want out of this at this point for my retirement eventually and for, you know, for what we want to do in life or what my my wife and I want to do? Because she's working with us full time too. So, uh, and that's what we kind of threw a dart at the dartboard. And I wish it was more scientific than that. But you know what? Sometimes in business, it's not. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, especially when yeah. you're in an industry that's not, that doesn't have set rules. How much, how much back and forth negotiation was there? Unfortunately, well, fortunately for me, but un- unfortunately for me, they didn't negotiate the price. And then I went, damn, I should have went higher. (laughs) So that was, you know, so I did, yeah, got what I wanted. But, you know, then I was like, oh, no, but there was other things that were, I would say it wasn't the price and the negotiation point. We did go back and forth on just paragraphs in the contract. You know, it was the nitpicky business stuff that we went back and forth on. We probably ended up talking more about, I wasn't even saying it was negotiating, but talking more about my consulting agreement, which came 
you know, is the second part. I'm, I'm on, or, you know, we sold the company, that was the first agreement. And then the consulting agreement to stay on was the second part. Well, that's what I was going to ask next was because I know, I, I knew from talking to you that you got this consulting agreement. I would think the company would be valued higher. You will get more money if you're able to help them smooth out the rough edges, right? To be there for a little bit afterwards. I don't think they would have bought it unless I had stayed on for a period of time. They wouldn't have bought it. But just because, again, you know you know this from being in this industry as long as I have, there's not a lot of us out there that have been around as long as we have doing podcasting. So to hire somebody to come in and take over exactly the way we're doing it and to continue that is difficult. So I don't think they would have bought it. They were buying me and what I built, but I think first they were buying me. And I don't mean that to sound conceited. It's just just true. Sure. No, it is true. And I think that's an important thing for anybody that if you're going to, if you're going to sell your business, you might want to sell it before you're ready to be done working. Just so you build in this, this, I think uh, it, it, it makes it so much easier for people to buy your business. If you're coming along for at least a little bit, how is your job today different than it was last year when you were running the company? We're just getting to the end now of all the transition stuff, of moving everything over, billing, and all of that that we had to do. So right now, what's going to happen, instead of being in charge of everything, I'm in charge of content. So there's a sales department that I work with, but they do the selling. I was always doing the sponsor selling before. And then there's a web team rebuilding the website. You know, as you know, we do all of that stuff when you own a business. Yeah. So basically, when it all settles out after the transition stuff, my job is content developing new shows, working with current shows to make them better. Did you have any attrition of personnel when they you told them that? Mm, no, the, actually, the, we all the shows stayed and we really didn't, no. That's fabulous. My last question is, is this. I've always said, Glenn, that podcasting is so fun. I could imagine like an oxygen tank here. Remember when Don Imus was alive, and by the way, I've, I'm... I'm not making a commentary about what Don Imus said or what he did. I'm just saying one thing about Don Imus was he had oxygen and he was still <laughs> on the radio. I want to be that guy. Like that is, that is total. I have so much fun doing this. I would do that. Is that you? Are you going to keep on the, on the show? Yes. I, I do horses in the morning, which is the longest, one of the longest running independent daily podcasts in the world. We're at 31, oh, yeah. almost 3,200 episodes. So I do want to keep doing that. But by the way, Glenn always uses that as a flex. Whenever we tell people we're on episode like 1300, Glenn's one of the few people on earth. (laughs) I said, you'll catch up sometime. (laughs) I can't because you do more per week than I do. But Glenn's one of the few people in the world who can go, oh, how cute. That's so cute. Yeah, that's really nice. (laughs) It's a nice little number you have there. (laughs) But But I hope to be doing that after this contract's even up the consulting agreement. Part of it is that I, I have the opportunity to stay on and still host horses in the morning. If all I had to do was get up in the morning and be on the mic with my friend Jamie, who's done all those episodes with me since the beginning, 13 years ago, if we, we just, it's therapy for us. So if we could get on and do that every day and talk to fun people and I don't have to worry about anything else, there's heaven for you right there. We will link to Horses in the Morning in the Horse Radio Network, guys, on our show notes. If you're a horse person and you don't listen to horse podcasts, these guys are horsing around. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Hey, do you know, one of my goals in life, one of my bucket list items was to be on this show. You know that. I've been bugging you about it for years. Yes. I've been bugging you about it for years. That's true. The bar's too low, Glenn. The bar's way too low. I feel like now I can leave the basement. (laughs) That's it. That's right. I could just hang out in our basement now. Glenn Hebert, thanks for hanging out with us, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jill.
I'm super happy to introduce you to this woman. Kate Youten joins us. How are you? I'm good, Joe. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm great. It's so weird to be interviewing you because I feel like we talk like three times a day now, but you are the person who's going to be heading up Stacking Benjamin's communication for us, which I'm super excited about. But I thought it'd be a great idea for everybody to meet you because you have a great story. Let's start off with your nickname. I, I would like you to tell everybody how your friends refer to you and your penchant for maybe not spending that much money. <laughs> oh, I was like, nickname? Um, my friends, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, not always, but they call me the thrifty queen. So I recently moved into my own apartment and I think everything that I've gotten has been like secondhand or free or I've upcycled it. And they're like, why? And I'm like, why not? <laughs> I don't need anything new, really. You have two televisions. How many of those did you buy? Zero. I have purchased zero televisions in my entire life. <laughs> and the table right behind you, where did that come from? Oh, this I got on my Buy Nothing group for free. So uh, if you're not in that, check one out. You probably have one in your area. When did you first realize that you were a frugalista or is, is that something that came naturally to you since you were a kid? I mean, I've worked literally my entire life, you know, since I was, I think I took like the babysitting course when I was 13, which is just like a slightly larger child watching a smaller child. Right. <laughs> like, right. I wasn't qualified. I, all, there's, I think there's a joke where it's like, all you can do is dial 911 a little faster. Like, <laughs> I remember Kate, when I was 11, we had a 13 year old babysitter and I was telling my mom, I'm like, really, really? It doesn't make sense, but whatever. So, you know, I've been working since, literally since I was a child. And then I think I got my first W-2 job when I was 15 and a half. So it's just sort of always been a thing. But honestly, I've just, uh, I would say pretty recently gotten more into sustainability. And I just, you know, getting things secondhand, it's just giving them, you know, a new lease on life. And it's just me. I don't need, I don't need nice things. So... I also live in Southern California and rent is so expensive. I'm like, I can't afford nice things. <laughs> I can only afford the weather that I get here. Right. <laughs> but were you always good with money? Yeah, I've always been good with money. I bought my first car. I've always bought my own car insurance kind of thing. I don't remember having any conversations about it with my parents. It was just sort of an expectation that you just do your own thing and you do it well. So your parents, did they have like a curriculum where they were teaching you money or was it just kind of apple doesn't fall far from the tree? I think that we used to do family meetings. Oh, cool. Yeah. And like we used to get an allowance and it was like $10, you know, it wasn't that much, but it was like, you had to have like, you had to put a certain amount in savings and tithing, and then you could use the rest for whatever you wanted. So I think I remember doing that as a child, but I don't really, but like, I don't remember sitting down and having those conversations as a teenager I just remember turning 15 and a half and my parents being like, let's go get your working papers. You have to get a job because when you turn 16, you have to buy your own car. Do you like that? I, I mean, if you had children, would you do that with them as well? I don't know. I think that knowing what I know now, I think I'd like to have some more open, candid conversations. And don't get me wrong. I spent $200 on my first car. Um, $200? $200. It was a 1993 Oldsmobile. And just to be clear, I am also a 1993 model. So... <laughs> 
I was definitely the coolest kid rolling into the parking lot. That's, that is fabulous. I'm wondering just how much Bondo was on that car. Like how duct taped together was that? You know what? It was an Oldsmobile and that thing was just solid metal. I don't think there was duct tape to be found. <laughs> how many miles? Oh, I honestly, I don't even know. It had to have had over 100,000. Yeah. But it was just my stepdad, actually. It was just sitting in someone's like front yard. And he went up and knocked on a door. And the woman was like, oh, that was my late husband's car. Obviously, he's not around to drive it. And she agreed to sell it to me. I think I spent more on like the title and buying new tires for it than the actual car. Yeah, but that's fabulous. I've got you and I, you and I met face to face for the first time when I was in LA on my book tour, which is we're recording this. I'm thinking back to a year ago when I was going from city to city. So it was almost, almost exactly a year ago that we met. I would ask people this when I was doing these million stories interviews, and I'm curious because I don't know these about you. What is the biggest mistake you ever made with money? Oh, man. I try not to make mistakes, (laughs) but I would say recently, and this is like a two-part answer. So first of all, um, since I moved into my own place in June, especially with inflation and my new apartment costs a little bit more than my last place, I've really been digging into my savings recently. And I mean like 60% is gone. And so I guess maybe just not being quite as mindful of my spending, especially given like the state of the economy. So I'd say my current biggest mistake is happening now. But I had a conversation with a friend recently. I feel like sometimes she and I and and probably other people too think about savings the wrong way. And really what it's for is for accidents for things that happen. And so when you put money in savings, you're automatically putting it behind you. And I think that it's easy to look at savings with like a forward mindset, like Mm -hmm. I'm using my savings for this in the future. But realistically, that's already already in the past, like it's already gone. And it's already in the bank. You know what I mean? And it's it's for those kinds of mistakes or, or life events, I suppose. No, that always drive me, drove me crazy when I was a financial planner, when people would have these great opportunities and they would turn them down. They're like, well, I don't have any money. I'm like, you have all this money sitting in the bank. What are you doing? Like, this is the thing you've wanted to do. No, 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 no. I can't touch that money because that's for, no, it's for exactly this. Yeah. <laughs> and for- I've been feeling really guilty. I'm like, man, I've been digging into my savings a lot recently, et cetera. And it's like, that's literally what it's for. Like, I shouldn't feel bad about that. This wasn't money for the future. This was money from the past for now. For so. now. Yeah. As long as you have a plan and obviously you do, uh, and, and we don't need to get into this, but Kate's juggling so much stuff. If, oh my goodness. I can't, I can't believe you have hair. That's where all mine went. Was, and I'm not nearly as busy as you are. <laughs> uh, and then let's pat you on the back some too. I think this was always one of my favorite questions I'd ask people around the country. What's something you do really well that people can learn from? Man. Um, I think that I am really good at credit card hacking, then that's how actually I do my budget. I have a couple credit cards that I really like and I know like where to spend each one. And I, that's how I do most of my travel is I buy flights with my credit card points and like the card that I have, I think the points go like 1.5 further than regular. So I'm not an expert by any means, but uh, my friends do come to me when they're like, oh, I need to open a new credit card. And I'm like, I have some ideas for you. What are your priorities? 
That's fabulous. And those two things aren't tied together, are they? Credit card hacking and uh, dipping into your savings. No, no, those aren't related at all. I'm actually wrapping up my MBA program. I'm doing it online, but I have to go to a couple in-person events. And so, you know, it's just like extra fees on top of that. And so that's really where that's really where the savings (laughs) dipping into has come from. Yeah. Well, and I had to ask that because you and I both know that that's where people get into trouble sometimes is that they will go, oh, I can get all these points. And then next thing you know, they got these huge balances on their credit card or their savings starts going away. So no, I've actually I've never carried a balance on a credit card ever. So a couple things. I was so happy when you accepted the job with us. I just want to talk about this about Stacking Benjamins and you. First of all, people wonder what it's like getting to know Gertrude because you and Gertrude are kind of putting out the communications for us. Tell us about that relationship. It has been interesting to learn. I mean, I've only been doing this for a couple of weeks and I feel like I am doing something new every single day and I'm just flying by the seat of my pants, truly. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) that's kind of where I am in life. Um, But it's been really interesting and there's a lot to learn both from the stacker community as well as from you and the rest of the team and really kind of just trying to figure out where I fit in with all of that and sort of finding the line between like, you know, what is professional and what do we want out there? And then, you know, how can I just be part of the crew and and hang out with people and stuff like that? So it's been interesting to learn that. And then uh, what should people expect from us, Kate, uh, in the future now that you're with us? Tell everybody, you know, outside the podcast, what are they going to get more of now that Kate is coming to our rescue? Thank God. (laughs) Well, I've already talked to you. And I guess just to be clear, I am so close to being done with my MBA program. I am literally four (laughs) weeks away at the time of this recording. And so when I'm finished, I'm going to have so much more free time. And I really am so excited to sit down and just come up with a full-fledged marketing plan. I mean, that's what I went to undergrad for school for, and then just getting my MBA, really more of a business focus. So I think that what people can look forward to is some really cohesive marketing. And I mean, like, whether you're on our Instagram or our webpage or getting the 201, which everyone should be getting, but um, really kind of seeing a cohesion across all of the different platforms and, and really knowing that who we are one place is who we are somewhere else. That's what I was really excited about as you and I talk about this, that uh, because we've been juggling so much, we're very schizophrenic. Kate, seeing how schizophrenic our, our communications are and this idea of cohesion really is exciting because there's a lot of people out there that need a lot of help and I'm super excited that they can get more help with us from us now that uh, now that Kate's with us. No pressure, Kate. Only we- <laughs> pressure all the time, but it's okay. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and telling everybody a little bit about your money story and welcome to the team. Thanks. Really excited to be here. And uh, I don't know what the next year looks like, but it is going to be good. I promise you that. Hey, this is John in Seattle. And when I'm not telling terrible dad jokes to anyone who will listen... I'm Stacking Benjamins. Oh, big thanks to our stacker community. Just phenomenal stuff that they're all working on, OG. Stacktastic. It is amazing. Hey, thanks to all of our stackers, to Ed with today's headline, to Amy, to Glenn, to Kate, to Will. Fantastic stories. We will not only have links to all the different things we talked about today, 
Kevin at our 201 newsletter is going to dive in deeper into all these topics. If you're somebody that wants to live abroad, you're somebody that wants to start a business like Glenn did, and you would need to define your, your niche. If you're somebody looking to be more frugal like Kate, if uh, you're somebody uh, thinking about sarcasm like Ed in Columbus, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do that. I'd have no idea how Kevin's Kevin's hearing this going. How am I going to do that? I have no idea, Kevin. That's why you do the 201 and I don't. But stackybenjamins.com slash 201 is our newsletter. Comes out the day after our Monday and Wednesday shows. And, uh, and we're very proud of it. It's a great newsletter with lots of links that you can peruse to get deeper into whichever area of the show we talked about that interests you more. Of course, it's free and you can unsubscribe whenever you want. Stackybenjamins.com slash 201. All right, that's going to do it for today. But that's not all. You know, if you're concerned about... Uh, this market and the chat around where the heck is the market going next? Well, OG and his team have put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. This guide will help you play more and panic less no matter what the market does. So head over to stackybenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackybenjamins.com slash guide and get this helpful free guide from OG and his team. All right. I think that's it. Well, it's not quite it. We got to know what we should have learned today. And for that, we go to Doug. Doug, what should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Amy Minkley, Glenn Hebert, and Kate Yonkin. Want to change your life? Just go do it. You have it in you to change tomorrow. Second, how about our headline segment from Ed? Maybe some of the best financial lessons that you don't need a guru to teach you. But the big lesson... Imagine being Justifier Tap It, a big check every few days and a fine filly in your crib. Man, I got to be all up in that business. Thanks to Amy, Glenn, and Kate for joining us today. You can find out more about their work in links on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks to Ed for today's headline. Have an idea for the show? Email joe at joe at stackingbenjamins.com. Wait, that's too many Joe ats. It's just Joe at stacking bench. Well, wait, there's no just in the front of it. It's Joe. Oh, screw it. You'll figure it out. How do we find these stories? Most of our community stories come from our Facebook group in the basement. Gertrude posts a weekly show and tell post. And it's amazing what our stackers accomplish every week. If you want to be inspired, join us. Head to the stackingbenjamins.com slash basement for the quick link into the group. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2023, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch with help from me, Joe, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. You can hire Paulette as your very own writing coach. With her program, Your Personal Editor, you get 10 sessions one-on-one with Paulette to add power to your words. More information at yourpersonaleditor.com. Kevin Bailey helps us take a deeper dive into all the topics covered on each episode in our newsletter called The 201. You'll find the 411 on all things money at The 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Tina Eichenberg makes the video version of this show. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? 
Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So say hello when you see us posting online. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at the Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these nerds, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Doug, you like the caramel delights? Is that your uh, that's your pleasure? No, I don't think so. I should look them up. No, what are those things called? They've got coconut and caramel and chocolate. Oh, Samoas. Samoas. Yeah. They're called gross is what they're called. Oh. This Girl Scout doesn't have the same list as the other Girl Scout did, so there must be a uh, sort of uh, odd market. Maybe they are, they're tweaking for their market. They know what sells. Yeah. So there's Adventurefuls. Adventurefuls. None of these words are going to mean anything to me. These are going to be like men's deodorant scents that mean nothing. Brownie inspired cookie with caramel flavored cream and a hint of sea salt. Oh, the sea salt. That doesn't sound bad. Yeah, the sea salt thing pulled me in. I was I was not in until you said sea salt. Okay, so one of those. S'mores. No. Lemon ups. No. I guess you can imagine what that's like. Uh, Dosey does. Oatmeal sandwich cookies with peanut butter filling. No. That does sound like a terrible combo. Tagalongs, which are the chocolate peanut butter ones. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like those, but I'm waiting for you to get to the shortbread ones. They might have a peanut warning anyway. Tree nut warning. Does that matter? No. <sighs> thin mints? You're not a thin mint fan? No, not a thin mint guy. Samoas, you know. Toffee-tastic or gluten-free? Toffee-tastic? Rich, buttery cookies with sweet, crunchy toffee bits. You know what they should have, OG? They should have flavors like guiltless. And then raspberry rally. That's it, dude. Those are your choices. Raspberry rally. From this particular Girl Scout that we're trying to support, she doesn't give me the shortbread versions? I don't think they make those anymore. I don't tell you. What happened? What happened? That's been a standard. since. What happened in my childhood? Yeah, right. Tagalongs gone? No. Wait, hold on. The trefoils are the shortbread ones. Trefoils, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. I don't yeah, remember yeah. you saying trefoil. I apologize. Uh, shared facility with peanut, tree nut, and egg. Is that okay? Yeah, I'm fine with all that. So Samoas and, and trefoils, that's it. All yeah. of a sudden, the heavens just opened up. Nine boxes of each. Nine, nine boxes of each. <laughs> I'm not asking for much. <laughs> Eleven boxes I of want each. Two flavors. 
and all of the boxes that they have of those two flavors. This one's a little more expensive. The other ones were five bucks. These are six bucks a box. Yeah, those folks in which uh, one? Samoas or from all of them all of from them. this Girl Scout? Yeah, yeah. Central Indiana's uh, milk in the. You think the guy who sent me the link and said, "Hey, uh, my daughter's doing this," and jack the price up and jack see the it. price up exactly? Right. Yeah. It's OG. He can do it. He's 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 got all sorts of money available to him on credit. <laughs> In parentheses, available to him on credit. And that's the way I roll. <laughs> if you're a horse person and you don't listen to horse podcasts, these guys are horsing around. Wait, where's my... D- do I have it? Where's my... Nope, that's not it. Where's my... Nope, that's not it. Nope. Nope. Oh, come on. <laughs> I've got a button here, Glenn. Somewhere. <laughs> Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.